So before I launch into uh, my poem, I wanted to just do a little uh, kind of review of, uh, in the sense of where we are and how we've been uh, building on these uh, talks and stuff. <clears throat> so I wanted to start with really, uh, I-, I called it the kind of, what was it, the uh, Fui and the Wow talk that uh, was really about the attitude that we bring uh, to our practice and for this month long that Sylvia uh, uh, brought that uh, first talk and that how important that uh, attitude really towards uh, ourselves and our hearts and uh, the training of our minds here. And then uh, Mary Grace uh, gave a talk that, which was about the, uh, the, these, uh, what are known as the 37 wings. Uh, and, I, you know, usually I can't get past five of any of these lists, so uh, it's okay, you know. <laughs> but it does, it's really a composite of uh, the, the direction, uh, which is fundamental in awakening. And so really what we're doing here is us creating, in a sense, uh, the um, direction uh, and the support uh, of uh, the practices uh, for awakening. And I think it's really the fundamentals here. So uh, Donald then uh, uh, spoke the, uh, the following, really about the two arrows in this, the really fundamentals of the of uh, suffering and the uh, and pain, and also uh, that that uh, when we see through it liberates uh, the really the basis of fundamentals here and then uh, heather and that 's really the and part of these wings of awakening is that the most fundamental teachings that the Buddha gave are really about suffering and the end of suffering. And then Heather uh, began on the, this first foundation of uh, mindfulness is really a place where we all, uh, in a sense, we begin. And uh, we simply, as the last quote she gave on the, uh, from the Venerable Ajahn Moon, who was the uh, teacher of uh, the Venerable Ajahn Chah uh, through this lineage, uh, that uh, never abandon, uh, never abandon the body, which is the fundamentals here. If you forget anything, if you'll please remember this one piece, you know, uh, you'll be in good, you're, you're in good hands. Uh, then uh, Larry last night uh, talked about the uh, kind of the confluence here, and I, I was so... Uh, moved by the fact that, you know, uh, just coming back from this journey with the um, and the pilgrimage uh, in the, really the footsteps of the Buddha, I'm just amazed uh, how far apart all these different places are and how much this uh, great being uh, walked through the uh, Ganges Valley and uh, and brought these uh, teachings and to uh, you know it wasn't just a big city it was everywhere in his uh, forty five years of uh, teaching uh, and walked everywhere and so we, really the influence of the talking of the need and the precision and uh, that still that first foundation of mindfulness in the sense of a practice of uh, staying, being here in the body. And then it was really uh, dovetailed into the Eightfold Noble Path, also part of these 37 wings of awakening. So this afternoon, I would like to extend that into what is known as the five spiritual powers, or, uh, well, five spiritual faculties is where we'll, we'll begin. They end as the powers. Uh, but they were just the simplest fundamentals of uh, the, really, the, the, I see as the kind of the rational direction of spiritual practice in its fundamentals or essence. 
So I had to um, begin. I always have to organize the disorganized uh, in these talks for myself as just how do I show up here? And so I usually write a poem that uh, signifies in some way uh, a piece of direction or way that I can frame it for myself and hopefully uh, support um, uh, this uh, particular wandering mind uh, through the uh, causeways and hallways and uh, ways of uh, bringing these teachings uh, to you. So, this full moon day, actually. Frog clarity, I called it. I think you know what I mean. Was it the concert given by the frogs? The the Dharma talk that was louder than the chatter of my own mind until that wild roar stopped. A silence descended through the hall. Stillness, untroubled by breath of that forgotten place. Stillness, untroubled by breath of that forgotten place. Your own voice refused to move your delinquent thought words. Adjusting without movement. The quiet fury of the stillness almost forgotten. Like the great hunter, you track that breath, enlivened and focused, respectfully balancing a bedazzled heart and this well-crafted discernment. You came to this place longing for child's eyes that had grown accustomed to loss. This river of aliveness floating on the mind's inward attention. This river of aliveness floating on the mind's inward attention. Frogs came alive again. But this time, breathing life. Some great stillness untouched by the sounds. Breath, body, mind, heart, placed on the pinpoint of time. Everything lined up for a fraction of a moment. Everything lined up for a fraction of a moment. Your mind knowing this emptiness, heart knowing this fullness, all bargaining over, you have arrived. So uh, these five spiritual faculties uh, are always there. They're, all, they're part of the fundamentals here. And the uh, Buddha in the uh, suttas described it as a five, uh, five horses. And I always imagined that they were kind of tethered to uh, uh, a great hoe that was uh, tearing up the, uh, turning the earth. Uh, uh, and I think of it as kind of our garbage uh, kind of turning it over in some way. and uh, But it needed this incredible amount of um, strength uh, to move, uh, to move kind of the earth of our kind of selfing and our, uh, you know, caught in the multiple uh, stories that we manufacture here. You know, uh, and all the kind of old uh, wounds and uh, losses that we come in with. You know, they have to be somehow, this is a, a place to turn them. 
So these five uh, uh, relate to as uh, faith or conviction, uh, sometimes energy or persistence or perseverance, uh, as mindfulness, um, as focus or concentration, and uh, this discernment or, or the wisdom factor, rajna, bana. So I think first just to kind of, okay, these are the five. Uh, but we have to lay out somewhat, uh, uh, what is the parameter of being here? You know, there's some very uh, clear fundamentals here. And one of them uh, is uh, our, the way we kind of hold this world. And there are two pieces I see of holding it uh, that are imperative. And one are these simple precepts. Uh, that they bring uh, safety uh, for each of us and for the community uh, so that uh, we can kind of dig deep uh, into the earth through the power of these, uh, in the sense, uh, these uh, five uh, faculties, uh, that they are going to have to uh, have enough strength to turn the soil. Uh, last night, uh, in Larry's talk, uh, at the end of it, he spoke of the truth of uh, pilgrimage. I think in my own life, I've spent a lifetime. I was thinking, oh, it's been, since I first went to India, my mother took me there, it's 50 years ago. You know, that says a lot right there, you know. And uh, returning, and, and in a sense, uh, there is this peace around the fact that once we've kind of created this safety zone and that not only the safety zone, the second piece is that there is uh, the truth that we've taken away. Uh, you can uh, say it's uh, renunciation is the proper word for it. But uh, all of our, our options have been, in essence, uh, minimized. So uh, you sit here in this world of uh, being really physically safe. And at the same time, uh, the kind of those things that pull us in different directions are moved aside, away, away from us. And so we sit in the middle of this with the possibility of bringing uh, these... Uh, um, faculties uh, to the front of our experience. You know. And the Buddha, when he was describing this, he said, oh, of the five horses, he said, oh, the middle horse, uh, which is the mindfulness, uh, is that that uh, is the kind of lead horse in this. Uh, he speaks of that that's there. And we've been uh, working with this particular piece as, uh, in a sense, a kind of prerequisite uh, to this retreat. And it is something that, in essence, whenever uh, we have somehow been on this quest, uh, this pilgrimage to uh, uh, discover what's true, is uh, we have touched on this single piece, this mindfulness, uh, as a... Uh, kind of a, a prerequisite uh, to uh, the practice itself. Mindfulness is interesting because sometimes they refer to it as just a memory. Uh, but I think it's more than that. One of the things I've experienced over time uh, as my own uh, journey has been, and I've run into this over and over again, where people come and they go to these uh, kind of long retreats and then they leave and they forget things. You know, we're supposed to be remembering things, right? But actually, what this is, is a different kind of memory. Because we think of memory as somehow uh, taking uh, uh, some piece of knowledge or statement or something and remembering it on some level, you know. And that's a certain kind of memory. But we're actually developing a different kind of memory here. 
And you could say, one, we have short-term, we have long-term, but actually what this is, is momentary memory. That you are training yourself to bring yourself back to the moment. And you start uh, strengthening and cultivating this faculty of remembering this momentary uh, awareness. This river of aliveness floating on mind's inward attention. You know, so in a way, there's a way that we turn uh, that attention around to notice. What is it that's noticing right now? There's something that notices, notices our seeing or hearing or smelling or tasting or thinking. There's that that, uh, even though it's momentary, uh, is something we uh, need as the lead uh, uh, in this on some level. So just to hold that as uh, kind of the fundamentals or basis here. Now, uh, in the description of this, uh, they have uh, these four others. And they are considered in pairs. So you could say, you know, whatever colors you wanted to make them as horses, you know. Uh, traditionally, we talk about uh, this word faith uh, as really, uh, and it's one of the faculties here, uh, that... Um, and the Buddha kind of describes it. I, I like this description because he says it can't be in an isolated situation. And he describes it thus. He compares faith to a blind giant who meets up with a small, very sharp-eyed cripple called wisdom. The blind giant named faith says to the small, sharp-eyed, crippled, named Wisdom. I'm strong and can go very fast, but I can't see where I'm going. You're small and weak, but have sharp eyes. If you will ride on my shoulders, together we could go far. Isn't that a great one? Together we could go far. So uh, in the tradition, you know, I was thinking back, I was, uh, found this old line uh, of my early years of when I would go to Bodh Gaya. And you know, I've spent this, what, 43 years kind of going back and forth. And uh, when I go there, there is something that moves in my heart. You know, and I had this earlier, I did a lot of mantra practice early and, and stuff in my uh, practices and prostrations and... Um, but I had this mantra, I forgot all about it, and then I find it, kind of found it written down somewhere. And it went, please open my mind so my heart may follow the Dharma. You know, please open my mind so my heart can follow the Dharma. And it was such a, uh, one of those things where, you know, you go... Uh, pilgrimage is always about somehow uh, you don't go to take pictures or... Uh, you know, um, what is it, uh, kind of store things. It's actually a, a something you go uh, to let go of things, you know, and to find something uh, that's very much in your heart, uh, that's been covered over, over again and again by, you know, such in the West, particularly a rationalist world, uh, that uh, doesn't pay too much heed to this. You know, oh, oh, we don't have so much of it, you know. And and for myself, I know it's always been something that I have been trying on some way uh, to um, enliven in myself because I know uh, it's really this peace around my heart and that somehow uh, in our world uh, we look at it and uh, different ways. And, you know, I think when I started out on this, 
Uh, and I think we all come to practice. You know, we get some inkling of it. But we all have to touch into blind faith. You know? And even though the Buddha says, oh, well, you know, that uh, really um, is not the path itself, the blind faith. Uh, but it's also, we always start out something new and we don't know. So there has to be, in a sense, this uh, kind of stepping into uh, that kind of uh, unknown. And yet at the same time, it doesn't have this complementary, this second horse, which is the discernment, uh, which is necessary uh, for there to be the balance uh, for uh, this plowing of um, our uh, own confusion and and, um, uh, many times around uh, this is so much about understanding the difference between the upaya, between skillfulness and unskillfulness. You know, what kind of words, what kind of actions, what kind of thoughts are not skillful? You know, and we have to actually discern, we have to know the difference, you know. Now, they talk about it, and this is really a process that you're all in, in the sense of faith, and, and um, there is a blind faith. There's also a thing called borrowed faith. And borrowed faith is something, I think, uh, that is a, a, it's a marvelous thing. I know uh, it comes from uh, teachers and from uh, wonderful books uh, and other people's experiences in their words. It's borrowed, you know. But it can give us the inspiration so many times to uh, follow on the path. But ultimately, uh, the Buddha was very clear. He said, there has to be verified uh, faith. And it goes from faith to, uh, because what is faith? Faith is some piece, just like wisdom is a piece of understanding, which is really this uh, uh, discernment, is uh, there's this whole piece of faith which has to do with the heart. You know. And uh, in the text, they uh, describe it, you know, that, and I, I'm a little cautious with the first part of this, but it is talked about that from beginningless time uh, that our habits have been recreating themselves in a sense, life after life. You know, you can hold that however, whether it's just in this life, the, you know, actions you've done, they keep repeating themselves. Uh, we, uh, you know, uh, until we get it, I think. And so uh, the stories uh, recreate themselves, just with different names and people and stuff. You know what I'm talking about, you know. The world of faith, um, when we actually allow ourselves to um, uh, to let the heart, uh, you know, and certainly it has to be coupled uh, to the wisdom, but it's not limited. Uh, it uh, brings a tremendous amount of. Um, truth around the fact that we can begin to see that uh, when the heart is open, it really sees the nature of reality on some level. It begins to, instead of block things, uh, it actually begins to receive things. And in many ways, our world is, uh, is uh, so confined. It's confined by our uh, belief systems uh, that sometimes limit uh, our capacity to actually um, maybe see the invisible. You know, that's the not apparent. You know, and the Buddha said, that, and so that is just seeing kind of the basis of uh, of um, what the mystery uh, of a world that's. 
you know, we, we experience through our senses and our thinking, but maybe a lot bigger than we could imagine. You know. And so in some way, that piece of faith has to be there to allow us to not confine, but actually allow us to uh, uh, not make it small, not confine it, but give it. Maybe it's due in the sense of we don't actually know. And I think all of you have had some experiences in your lives uh, that make you uh, question uh, the world of this uh, confined, you know, I could say a world of selfing where we uh, simply, you know, uh, say it's uh, limited in some way. And what faith, the heart, says, it's not about limit. You know, it has to be coupled with understanding discernment but it's not limited I think a lot in my journeys to India and um, spending I don't know I've spent probably uh, 10 years in Asia and and, um, so much of it has been borrowed uh, particularly from the Tibetan community Uh, their capacity uh, uh, to what carry uh, the mystery of seeing, you know, that somehow their world uh, moves into a world of devotion that I don't know so well, you know, coming out of a, a society that is so trained in its abilities to. Uh, you know, rationalize and analyze and, in a sense, figure out. And they're not trying to figure that out. They are really, in essence, kind of just allowing their hearts to move with, uh, you know, something that's bigger. And so the third aspect of this is kind of birth and there's reality of, of uh, uh, and, and that first one they talk about, it's also the understanding of karma, uh, to have faith in the fact that uh, that's a, a working um, system, you know, that uh, repeats itself. You know, uh, that there is uh, this Buddha, what is Buddha? What is Dharma? What is Sangha? Is it just some statue sitting up here or some idea of a community or some some way that we can rationalize uh, our world? Or does the Buddha represent something completely uh, outside uh, our uh, knowing, you know, and I present that because I think that's true. That somehow uh, there is someone who you know sat under the bow tree, and he experienced something so profound that has affected uh, millions and millions of people, and he simply laid out something very simple that we could sit in this room not in a complicated way. We are complicated. It itself is simply uh, this truth of as we, these faculties of, of balancing uh, the, the truth of, of uh, remembering moment after moment to pay attention to the, the, just the simpleness of being here. And that it, in essence, has that complement of faith and uh, discernment that's built into it. You know, in the same way that, you know, the, the um, you know, they use the word uh, energy. Um, but I like the words uh, perseverance. Uh, 
and persistence. Because that's what it takes. That's why it's so lovely to be here for two months or for a month. Whatever it is that uh, that is built into this. That that persistence, that perseverance is an energetic factor. That it's needed so that uh, the concentration or our ability to focus and collect ourselves uh, without a lot of distractions uh, is the nature of this collective here. Uh, These are all pieces that are fundamentally built into it so that uh, you can uh, relax and begin to recognize the truth of these things. You know, and that there is always uh, uh, moments where, you know, um, there may be not enough, and uh, when, when there isn't enough kind of energetics there, you're just kind of, kind of, I think, uh, I think it's called falling over, and uh, sloth and torpor. You just kind of uh, go over, and there isn't enough uh, um, when there's just too much uh, concentration, you know, on some level. And if there's not enough of that energy of perseverance, you know, it just happens. Or if there's too much of that energy of perseverance, then what happens? You know, the concentration is weak and there's this restlessness that's there. You know, so we we're, we're actually have these pieces that we're playing with and working with constantly. They're not something that we're bringing in, it's something we're simply acknowledging and noticing and realize that there is uh, this kind of balancing act that's going on. You know? And ultimately, the Buddha says, um, has a piece about, uh, where I was going to read that, oh yeah, from Saraputta, and it's really, uh, who is one of the uh, main disciples of the Buddha, it is not that I take it on conviction the Blessed One, that the faculties of conviction, uh, persistence, mindfulness, concentration, discernment, when developed and pursued, plunges into the deathless, has the deathless as its goal and summation. As its goal and summation. Those who have not known, seen, penetrated, realized, or attained by its means of discernment, would have to take it on conviction and others that the faculty of conviction, discernment, persistence, mindfulness, concentration has the deathless as its goal and consummation. Where those who have known, seen, penetrated, realized, attained it by means of discernment would have no doubt or uncertainty of the faculty of conviction, persistence, mindfulness, concentration, discernment, has the deathless as its goal and consummation. And as for me, the Buddha speaking, I have known, seen, penetrated, realized, attained by these means. I have no doubt or uncertainty that the faculty of conviction has the deathless as its goal and consummation. And there's something um, inherently wonderful in the fact that if we just simply uh, realize that sitting here and finding uh, as we balance uh, this piece around, uh, in a sense, it's kind of an open heart and a clear mind and this uh, balance uh, uh, of uh, really they talk about energy and samadhi or the fact that uh, when uh, there is uh, this really this uh, balanced focus uh, that uh, the mind then has created the faculties uh, the faculties of freedom a marvelous uh, a truth, you know. Uh, we're not here 
uh, just to kind of, in a sense, uh, get better. You know, this is not a getting better thing. You know, uh, this is ultimately about something that the Buddha was pointing out. There was inherently a part of you. And that that's part of you uh, is the truth. And the truth has this basis that the deathless, or you want to call it nibbana or freedom, uh, is your birthright. Uh, This is something uh, that needs this kind of collectiveness. But it's also these uh, wings of awakening that we can uh, be awake and aware uh, how they how they function, you know. And it's true that uh, you know, speaking of faith, that that verified faith. Uh, many of you come in here with that verified faith. You know, you understand the, in the sense, the consequences or the rules of karma. Uh, no matter how you look at it, whether it's for centuries or whether it's uh, this life, you get it. You know? And that you also have this quality of investigation, of seeing into uh, how you operate and how you've operated. And understand the difference, I believe, through being unskillful and being skillful. You know, that that uh, also is one of the prerequisites of coming in here, of saying, oh, I'm going to do two months or a month. You know, it's not that you've done a bunch of retreats. It has nothing to do with that. You know, it really has to do with your capacity, uh, your capacity to uh, really uh, understand uh, your own direction. It's funny, when I think I was, the third one was kind of this thing around the Buddha, and I'm always just so amazed. You know, I think I just sit in amazement because I have no conceptual framework uh, for uh, a mind completely free uh, uh, of, uh, in a sense, turned the soil of this deathless and uh, in a sense uh, sifted through all the dirt so it's fine. There's no more digging up. He no longer had anything to dig up. You know, nothing to turn over. You know. And uh, I hope uh, in some ways that I can convey that that, that uh, is the, can bring a sense of conviction and confidence um, that then allows your, uh, in a sense, your energy and uh, a focusing to stay. I think I'm going to add a little humor here. I was looking yesterday, I went, oh, uh, I picked up my, my, you know, years of kind of talks and I was going through my papers and, and I saw in one of them, oh, I'd, lo- I'd given away or lost maybe five, six, seven, eight years ago, this great little piece. And uh, I really, it's wonderful, you know, I get to go to India all this time and stuff, but I also get to teach uh, like in April, I go up to Sun Valley into the Sawtooth Wilderness to teach. And I go to Jackson Hole twice a year and, and to teach. And and also uh, in Colorado. And, um, you know, there's kind of the Tetons in the Sawtooth Wilderness. And and uh, in Colorado, going up to this place where I was teaching, that you could look out over the Never Summer Range, you know. Uh, it's as beautiful as any of the, it's like the Himalayas, Uh, right here in this country, you know. So, I'm going to read you something humorous just to to do this since uh, uh, it's maybe not the deathless, but it's okay, (laughs) you know. (laughs) 
It's called Meditation Hints from the Colorado Division of Wildlife. You know. My husband and I spent last summer at my family's cabin in Grand Lake, Colorado, at the edge of the Rocky Mountain National Park. In town one day, I picked up a pamphlet on living in bear country. And the suggestion was, what to do if you meet a bear? Sounded a lot like meditation instructions to me. Substituting thought for bear, here are some of the hints from the Colorado Division of Wildlife. It's really... Colorado has been home to thoughts since their earliest ancestors evolved in North America. Today, increasing numbers of people routinely live and play in thought country. Learning about thoughts and being aware of their habits will help you fully appreciate these unique animals and the habitat in which they live. (laughs) What to do if you meet a thought. (laughs) There are no definite rules about what to do if you meet a thought. Thought attacks are rare (laughs) compared to the number of close encounters. However, if you do meet a thought before it has time to leave your area, here are some suggestions. Remembering every situation is different with respect to the thought, its activity, the terrain, and the person involved. (laughs) One, stay calm. (laughs) If you see a thought and it hasn't seen you, calmly leave the area. Stop. Back away slowly while facing the thought. Give, this is a great one, give the thought plenty of room to escape. (laughs) Wild thoughts rarely attack people unless they feel threatened or provoked. Speak softly. This may reassure the thought that (laughs) no harm is meant to it. (laughs) The next one. So we have stop, uh, what? Stay calm, stop. Uh, Wild thoughts rarely attack. Speak softly. Relax. If a thought stands upright or moves closer, (laughs) it may be trying to detect your scent. This isn't a sign of aggression. Once a thought identifies you, it may leave the area or try to intimidate you by charging (laughs) to within a few feet before it withdraws. (laughs) Last one. Don't run or make any sudden movements. Running is likely to to prompt the thought to give chase. (laughs) And you can't outrun a thought. That's probably good enough. You know? <laughs> so that's true also, is that even though it's not one of the 37 wings, uh, humor is definitely one of the um, uh, instigators of uh, energy. <laughs> How's that? So um, a piece of this, I think, um, it really has to, again, to do with faith and stuff. In the sense that there's this word, uh, citta, in, in the, or citta, in the uh, Pali and Sanskrit language, uh, which uh, identifies uh, mind. And I know a lot of the early translations were simply based on mind. Uh, but again, I think going back to Descartes and stuff, we really have taken this thing and separated out uh, mind and heart. And uh, in the teachings themselves, when uh, they're actually work with, there's not a separation between the two. You know, there's feeling and thought. 
And part of this whole process is somehow that we begin to, uh, we can use the word uh, purify the emotions uh, to clear the thought. And so a lot of what we're doing here is there's, uh, you know, you've got all these stories and this thinking, but underlying all that uh, are the feelings about it all. And sometimes those, uh, those series of thoughts are being pushed uh, by the emotion in some way. And our practices here is to begin to recognize, you know, that there is the possibility of, um, maybe it's just the simplicity of knowing whether that, um, you know, is a skillful or unskillful emotion in some way. Uh, and that there is the kind of, uh, the, the loosening and the purification that happens here, you know, out of all your old garbage and stories, uh, that they are actually, uh, through these five faculties, are, are being turned over, turned over again and again. And that uh, as that begins to happen, uh, then really the soil itself, uh, uh, we have to distinguish, we have to have the discernment uh, that uh, this, um, uh, this mind-heart, uh, that its clarity uh, is simply based on the truth that you know the difference. You know, you know the difference between what's kind and what uh, openness and love and caring is and fear and hope for something, you know, different or more. You know the difference. And our whole practice is getting to recognize that there is this purification that has to go on. You know, and then eventually these five faculties uh, as they are worked with here, they they say they turn to powers. You know, the wisdom factor uh, really recognizes uh, the truth that uh, we're looking at a world that, um, in its relative reality, uh, is an impermanent phenomena, arising, passing away in fractions of a second, and any any grasping for or against anything. Uh, you will feel the consequences of that. And it's an impersonal process. You know, that's all. And that's the wisdom of this. In the same way, when the heart gets purified, there is what is known as the Brahma Viharas, that the, the, this truth of, of love and uh, kindness and goodness and compassion and... Uh, happiness and others' happiness, and uh, uh, a, a balanced good heart, you know, this equanimity. And that when the energy and the samadhi or the focus, the concentration is together, uh, then there are uh, states, absorptions, which are supportive to um, seeing in a different way, you know, uh, that uh, we're not maybe such limited creatures. You know. And so I think that's probably good for today. Um, I'll kind of read my poem to end. I don't even... Frog Clarity. Was it the concert given by the frogs? The Dharma talk 
that was louder than the chatter of my own mind until the wild roar stopped. A silence descended through the hall, stillness untroubled by breath of that forgotten place. Your own voice refused to move your delinquent thoughts' word. Adjusting without movement the quiet fury of the stillness almost forgotten. Adjusting without movement the quiet fury of the stillness almost forgotten. Like the great hunter, you track the breath. Enlivened and focused. Respectfully balancing a bedazzled heart and this well-crafted discernment. You who came to this place longing for child's eyes that had grown accustomed to loss. This river of aliveness floating on this mind's inward attention. Frogs came alive again, but this time breathing life. Some great stillness untouched by the sounds. Some great stillness untouched by the sounds. Breath, body, mind, heart placed on the pinpoint in time. Everything lined up for a fraction of a moment. Your mind knowing this emptiness, heart knowing this fullness, all bargaining over. You have arrived. you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.